Timothy chapter 5 is going to be our passage this evening. <clears throat> I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the series that we've been going through. Obviously a little bit different with us not going through a specific book, but going through uh, a man-made document <laughs> of sorts. Um, it's a little bit odd, but um, <clears throat> but if I have a question for you, do you really believe what we state in our covenant? Do you really believe it? Um, if we believe that Christ has a purpose for His church, which is what it says, um, not just the church globally, but also this local body, uh, and if we're truly joyful, joyfully engaging in this covenant, as our covenant says that we are then there are some supernatural traits that are going to come out, that are going to flow out of that response. And really, that's what the rest of the covenant is. It's, it's a list of supernatural traits, things that we can't just work ourselves up. Something that is from God. Is it cutting out on me? Thanks. That's why we got to. So it's supernatural traits that are going to come out and that's what that list is, right? Everything that we have on there is somehow from Scripture. And so we have this list of things that God working through us, if we really believe that this church is Christ, that he's died for this church, that it's valuable to him, and if we really are joining in joyfully, these are responses that we should have. I'm not going to list them again, don't worry. But you might be asking, okay, David, why, why do you bring that up? <clears throat> well, I say that because uh, the topic this evening is kind of difficult to preach. Um, if you've been following along with the, uh, with the church covenant, you, you know what's coming uh, this evening. You know the phrase that we're on. Um, but the topic for this evening is honor and respect those in spiritual leadership. All right. If you squirmed a little bit, trust me, I probably squirmed a little bit more uh, even just saying that. Because it, it's, it's weird, unless you're just a complete narcissist, um, you know, you, you probably, you know, in some form of humility, feel a little weird, a little guilty maybe, preaching a sermon to people to respect you, <laughs> all right? As elders, obviously, you know, our goal is to be humble, uh, to be like Christ, and, and so it's, um, it's a little bit you know, off-putting in some degree to, to preach this, but, but it's a biblical concept. Uh, and so therefore it's one that we need to preach uh, and we're going to attempt to do that this evening. So the first question that I have though is who are those spiritual leaders? As we know, we have two uh, offices that are spiritual offices. I want to be clear about that. I think a lot of times the office of deacon, we tend to just kind of almost see it as a man-made thing. We almost see it as just this, you know, this is just a group of guys who are going to, you know, make sure the water heater gets fixed and, you know, things like that. But they are a, they're, they're actually a, a biblical office. Um, to some degree, it's a spiritual office. If you look at the requirements for a deacon versus the requirements for an elder, they're virtually the same except for one thing. What is that? All of you have it all memorized. Have to teach, right? So they have ability and a desire to teach. Now, it doesn't mean a deacon can't teach, but that's the only requirement really that's different between an elder and a deacon. It's a spiritual office. 
But when we talk about spiritual leadership, when the, when the Bible talks about spiritual leadership, most of the time it's talking about the office of elder. All right, so we're going to go with that approach this evening. Even the passage that we're, that we're looking at here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 is going to be specifically talking about the office of an elder because that is the main difference, one of the, one of the, one of the big differences between the office of elder and the office of deacon. Deacons are there to serve generally the physical needs of the church. Elders are there to, to serve the spiritual needs of the church and to lead under Christ's direction. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. <clears throat> the title of the message this evening is Responsibilities of and to Spiritual Leadership. Responsibilities of and to Spiritual Leadership. I know that's a really boring title, but um, <laughs> we're going to go with it this evening. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, our passage is verses 17 through 20. Follow along with me as we read. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. <clears throat> so we read this passage, again, obviously talking about elders. It says, let the elders um, who rule well. But it, it has this phrase right here at the beginning, right? It says, let the elders who rule well. What in the world does rule well mean? Um, we don't have thrones or scepters, you know, uh, as elders in the church. Maybe we can look into that for the new building. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have this, uh, this kingship, uh, partially because Christ is king, right? Uh, we don't, he's the king, he is the head of this church, not the elders, right? We are spiritual overseers. But what does it mean for an elder to rule well? What does that mean? If you look at other translations, you'll find different uh, ways of stating this. You'll see other translations also use the, root, the word rule. Some translations use the word lead. Uh, some say uh, direct the affairs of the church to perform their leadership duties or do their work. All right? So that's all of those things kind of encompass this idea of ruling. All right? It's not just we're going to make decisions and force everybody to follow what we say. All right? That's not... First of all, that's not the attitude that you want in leadership, spiritual leadership, but, but that's not what it is. That's not what ruling well is. So the question becomes, what does it mean to rule well? What does it mean to perform their duties well? <clears throat> We've obviously looked at um, and taught on the office of the elders, so I'm going to not spend as much time going through this, but I want to make sure that we understand what, it, what is the role of the elder? What is he supposed to do? All right, so the first thing we look at are the responsibilities of spiritual leadership. The responsibilities of spiritual leadership. And I've, I've got five listed out for you. The first one is very simply to oversee and protect the local body. All right, to oversee and protect the local body. Now I get that from Acts chapter 20 when Paul is traveling and he's 
passing through uh, Ephesus or by Ephesus, and he calls the, the elders of the church of Ephesus to him, and he says these basically final words that he's going to preach to speak to them before he dies. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention, he's speaking to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. All right, so there's that word overseer. All right, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, whose church is it? It's God's church. It's paid for by Christ through his blood. It's not my church. It's not Andy's church. It's not Eric's church, especially since he's not here tonight. You know, it's, it's, it's God's church. But yet we are to care for God's church. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Notice, it's, notice who they come in among. Yes, there will be wolves. There's always wolves and tares in the church. But he's talking to the elders. There's going to be wolves that will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. What's he saying? He's saying, look, understand when I leave, there are going to be some even from among you who are going to seek to break the church up, seek to pull people after themselves instead of after Christ. They're going to seek to lift themselves up as the one in charge, as the one who should be followed and draw people away. And he says, protect them, watch out for that. So the, over, the, the part of, first part of ruling is overseeing and protecting the local body. Uh, that would be protecting it from um, mostly doctrine, doctrinal error. Um, but there may be things that come along in the life of a church, uh, just different people, scenarios, issues, that that's on the, the leadership, the spiritual leadership of the church to protect the body as well as possible. The second responsibility of spiritual leadership is to lovingly shepherd the local body. Lovingly shepherd the local body. And that takes several things. First of all, it takes shepherding, uh, requires Christ-like care. What did he say to the, people, to the elders in Ephesus? He said, care for the church of God. Care for the church of God. It takes, shepherding requires Christ-like care. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3 is a great reminder for those in spiritual leadership, for elders, as Peter speaks to them, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but what? But being examples to the flock. Shepherding requires Christ-like care. We can go to John chapter 10 and see what the good shepherd looks like and how we are to emulate that. We'll save time and not go read it, but take a look at it yourself. Shepherding requires Christ-like care, but shepherding also requires prayer. I'm gonna read several different passages here. Just uh, this is Most of these are coming from an apostle, most of these are coming from Paul actually. And we know that Paul was not an elder, but he was a spiritual leader of the church. As an apostle, as an evangelist, he was a spiritual leader of the church. And this 
attitude, this uh, action of prayer is something that we as elders should emulate as well. James 5.14 obviously is a, a very popular one. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we're to pray for those who are sick. First, 2 Corinthians 13.9 says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. All right, so they're praying for restoration of people. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Jumping down to verse nine, it says, and so from the, first, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So praying for the spiritual growth of the flock is part of the responsibility of the elder. Second Thessalonians 1 verses 11 and 12 says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by, of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As elders, it should be one of our foremost desires and actions to pray for the flock of God. And this is another reason why preaching this is difficult. <laughs> because none of us are perfect. None of us are where we want to be, especially in this, this thing. We have, we have had seasons as, as elders of, of intense prayer and then seasons of intense issues that need to be dealt with. And sometimes, sometimes some of these prayers get put a little bit on the wayside as, as we're dealing with things. But, uh, but I want you to know we do pray for you. We pray for our life groups separately. We pray for each of us, prays for you individually. And even as we're about to go on our retreat here uh, at the beginning of the year, we spend a very long time in prayer for the church as we begin the new year every year, not just as the, for the church as a whole, but for every single one of you, every family, every person and every family in our church we pray for. And again, that's not to pat ourselves on the back and say, we're such good elders. That's what we should be doing. That's, that's what God expects of us is to be men of prayer. And I know if I were to ask either of the other two elders, they would probably agree with me that we, we don't do that enough, but it's one of the ways that we can rule well. The third way that we rule is to feed the body. To feed the body, notice there it says uh, at the end of verse 17, it says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, right? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There, are, there were elders who didn't preach all the time. There may come a day where we have potentially somebody who's a full-time elder who will 
potentially have more uh, of the preaching load. All right, so, but hopefully everyone should be able to teach, right? That's a requirement for an elder. They should be able to teach, but especially for those who uh, are involved in the teaching and preaching. What does it look like to feed the body? There's two things I, I have under here. One is that preaching the word must be accurate. Preaching the word must be accurate. Titus 1.9, Paul's writing to Titus, and, he said, and he's talking about elders, and he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so we need to be teaching the word of God, but not just teaching it willy-nilly. We need to be teaching it accurately. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There are men all over this country and all over this world standing in pulpits preaching inaccurate scripture. The scripture is accurate, but they're using it wrong. And they're preaching things that scripture doesn't say. And they're preaching ideas that, pre- that scripture doesn't teach. And people are swallowing it, hook, line, and sinker. It is our job as elders to preach the word accurately. But not only that, it's our job to preach the word only. To preach the word only. Titus 3, 9 through 11, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. 2 Timothy 2 Uh, 14 through 18 says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. This goes back to the first one. We're to oversee and protect the flock. And one of the ways we do that is preaching the word alone. It is not our job to stand up here and preach about our hobby, our favorite things, It's our job to preach the word of God. It's not our job to stand up here and preach about social issues. Although they come up in scripture. It's amazing how God allows social issues to come up through the word of God, often at exactly the time that we need them. But it's not our job to tailor our teaching to what feels good and to what people want to hear. It's our job to take the word of God and faithfully exposit it to you and to ourselves. We are to feed the body what Christ desires it to eat. 
and that is the word of God. Number four, we are to model Christ for the local body. This is another hard one. We are to model Christ for the local body. What does that look like? First of all, we need to meet the biblical requirements, right? We need to meet the biblical requirements. We just talked about the fact that deacons have pretty much the same requirements as elders. These are not just requirements of these two offices as if we are somehow set apart and special as Christians. These are goals that every Christian should be desiring to attain, and we as elders should be examples of that. Let's read them very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through seven. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not, a viol- not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, the God- for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Titus 1, 5 through 9 says this, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, to the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. <clears throat> that is a tall order. And I think you all know us well enough to know that that is never perfectly done. And I don't believe that God expects us to be perfect, but he expects us to be an example. And I know that's something that we often hold each other accountable on. One of the beautiful things about having a plurality is the ability for Andy to beat us over the head every time we get together uh, when he knows that we haven't been living the way that we're supposed to. He's the rebuker of the group, just in case anybody wanted to, to know. If he, if he wants to talk to you, watch out. You know, if he, if he asks you out for breakfast, you're in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. But we should be men who are examples of Christ. All of us should be striving for Christ's likeness, but as leaders, we should be ones that you can point to. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That is our desire. It is never perfect. We fail as human beings, but our desire is to be that biblical example. Not only meet the biblical requirements, but leave a lasting legacy. Not just meet those standards um, at the time that we get appointed. Yeah, when we we become elders, we hit these requirements, but we kind of let things slide later. That's not how it works, right? We're supposed to be continually growing, continually getting better, continuing on to be this, so that at the end of our lives, we have left 
a lasting legacy of Christ-likeness for people to follow. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders. This is really speaking of people who have either left or have been or have passed away. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It talks about the fact that they taught them the word, but what does it tell them to focus on? Imitate their life. As elders, part of our responsibility to lead this church is to lead it by example, to be men who are like Christ. Fifthly, responsibilities of spiritual leadership includes raising up future elders. Raising up future elders. We see this first done by the apostles and evangelists as they appointed elders in Acts 14, verses 21 through 23. When they, speaking of, uh, I think it's Paul and Barnabas at this point, when they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples and they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Titus 1.5, again, Paul is speaking to Titus and he's saying, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this is something that was done, first of all, by the apostles, by the evangelists, as they would start a church. They would make sure that people understood the word. There would be people who obviously understood it better, who were apt to teach, who were, who were having these, um, this, this Christ-likeness developed in them. And so they would appoint these elders to lead the church. Notice how they did that. They did it uh, in, the, in the, the Acts passage with prayer and fasting. This was not something, they didn't just go in and be like, who's the guys that we like? We're going to pick those guys, put them in charge, and move on. That's not how this worked, all right? There was prayer and fasting, seeking God's will for who were the right men to put as overseers of each of these churches. It was a very important decision. Later on, we see that elders are appointed by other elders, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we read this. Command and teach these things. Again, Paul's speaking to Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We see here that Timothy, we know Timothy traveled with Paul. He was on Paul's evangelistic team. Um, but Scripture doesn't tell us that Timothy was an elder, but church history marks Timothy as, at least at the end of his life, being a, a, a leader in the church of Ephesus. And we see here the elders of the church where Timothy grew up, 
The elders of the church, having laid their hands on him, they were the ones who were appointing him to the work that God had called them to. If you go back and read when Saul and Barnabas were sent out, it was the elders who, through prayer and fasting, knew from the Holy Spirit that these were the two to be sent out. They didn't raise their hand and were like, hey, we want to go. The Holy Spirit did that work through what he was doing with Saul and Barnabas at the time. And they were sent out by the, by the elders and, of course, by the church as well. I'm not saying that the church is not involved in any way in the appointing of elders, all right? But the greater requirement is on elders to ensure that they are raising up the next generation of spiritual leaders for the church. Amen. It is our duty as elders to be looking out for, to be watching for, to be working with men in this church, whether they're currently five years old or 55 years old, or 75 years old to potentially lead this church in the days ahead. Because there very well may be a time, Lord willing, where we need more. Where three of us can't handle everything that needs to be done. And we pray that God will lead us to the right men, that God will give a desire to the right men. First Timothy 5.22 says, do not be hasty. He's speaking speaking to Timothy in in our passage here. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. What's he talking about here? He's talking about bringing other elders on. It's right in the passage of talking about elders. Don't be hasty in choosing new elders. Be careful. Follow the guidelines. Pick the right people. This isn't, a, this isn't a popularity contest. You know, be choosy, be careful about laying your hands. That's, the, that's generally the way that we see that in scripture. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through two says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The biblical example is for elders to raise up elders in the church. That's God's design. All right, so the five responsibilities of spiritual leadership. All right, here we go, buckle up. Responsibilities to spiritual leadership. All right, I beat up on the three of us, so now it's time to beat up on you guys, all right? No, I don't think so. I'll be honest with you. As I was going through and preparing this, I just over and over thank the Lord for the people that he has put in our church because the vast majority of these things that we talk about, if not all of them, are things that the members of this church excel in. And that's not to pat you on the back. That's to praise the Lord for the work that he's done in the lives of the people here. <coughs> so what are the responsibilities to spiritual leaders? We talked about what it means to rule well. <laughs> we got through verse one. <laughs> what does it mean to rule well? All right, we'll go pretty quickly through the rest of it. First of all, it says, let them be worthy of double honor. Worthy of double Honor. If they rule well, they should be worthy of double honor. What in the world is honor? All right, so number one, honor spiritual leaders. 
Honor spiritual leaders. What does that mean? Well, the next verse gives us one example of what honor looks like. He says in verse 19, 18, it says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. What's it talking about? Nobody wants to say. What? Your pay. Pay. All right. Amen, brother. Good job. <laughs> um, again, this is not a fun topic to preach. <laughs> uh, pay. Honor. Um, honor. Spiritual leaders, I put it this way, by meeting their physical needs. All right, honor spiritual leaders by meeting their physical needs. Obviously, we see here kind of two different examples uh, that talk about pay or meeting physical needs, as I like to put it. Um, We see the ox, it's saying the ox should be allowed to eat while it's doing its work, right? And then it says the laborer is worthy of the wages that he's worked for, right? So there is a requirement of the church to ensure that the spiritual leadership of the church is taken care of physically. Their physical needs are taken care of. Um, Obviously, different churches handle that different ways. Uh, We currently have three bivocational elders. Uh, You all have graciously given us uh, a stipend, each of us, and we appreciate that. Uh, We don't currently have somebody on full time. Someday we very likely will have somebody on full time and we'll be taking care of all their needs, all their physical needs, right? Um, So I think it can vary differently from one spiritual leader to another depending on their needs and depending on the need of them to the church. I look at uh, Paul's example to the Corinthians talking about how he had the right as as an apostle to require things from them. One of them was them physically taking care of his needs. And yet, in his example, he set that aside so that he would have nothing for them to point at, you know, so that he could, he could, he could work with them, he could labor with them and minister with them without them having anything they could point at as the reason why he's doing it other than Christ and his purpose for the church. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think there are times when... Um, a spiritual leader, an elder, may not need any support financially from the church. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, we need some help moving. <laughs> or, you know, I, I think it could look a lot of different ways. I don't think scripture is, is explicitly saying we have to pay everybody on our elder team full time and take care of every need that comes up. I, I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it means that our, our needs, our physical needs, are to be taken care of by the church. Galatians 6.6 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches it. All right, again, just another example. It's not real specific there, right? Just all good things, right? Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches it. I certainly don't think this means that the goal of the church is to make the pastor rich. I'm not saying he can't be paid well, but that's not the goal. <laughs> Bob's back there. He's all, he's always contending for the for you know the whoever we get on full time eventually to be paid well. So good for him. But uh, you know I, I think they should be paid well. But you know God doesn't require us to make them rich. Riches oftentimes are a downfall for people, even those in spiritual leadership, especially those in spiritual leadership. So it's not necessarily uh, to make them wealthy. 
<coughs> so you can honor by meeting their physical needs. A couple other, of other passages that talk about ways to honor. You can honor spiritual leadership by valuing their work and seeking unity. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then it says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. What the biggest blessing for any spiritual leader is the unity and the peace of the body of Christ. That is something that I, I would say we have greatly enjoyed the last, what are we on, six years now? Something like that. That we have, that I've been a part of this uh, elder team. The, the blessing of God's peace that has been upon uh, this church. It's not perfect. Nobody here is perfect, but there's been peace. There's been submission. And I, and I think that you have highly valued the work that we do. Thirdly, humbly submit to spiritual admonition. This is a hard one. Humbly submit to spiritual admonition. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders. You can't get away from that word. It's rough. Again, I'm just preaching what it says, all right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, this is, this is for your own good. Now, we go back to 1 Peter, right? We're not, God has not called us to be domineering and control. That's not, that's not how we're to lead, right? So if we are ruling well, if we are leading the way that we're supposed to, hopefully it's easy to submit in those times of admonition. In those times where Andy sends you that phone call and wants to meet you for breakfast, you know? Are you willing to submit? Are you willing to submit to spiritual guidance, to admonition? <clears throat> so those are three ways that you can honor spiritual leadership. Number two, protect spiritual leaders. What's the next verse say? Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three Witnesses. <coughs> we see here a very simple statement that we are to guard spiritual leaders from false accusations. Now, listen carefully to what I said. Guard spiritual leaders from false accusations. Because you know what? There will be false accusations. There will be false accusations from uh, people who are in the church there will be false accusations from people outside the church. And we need to be careful about what we believe. We need to be careful about what we allow to affect the way that we think about those in spiritual leadership. Now, there's a caveat there, right? Except for what? Except for the evidence of two or three witnesses. Obviously, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we sin. We're human beings. But God has designed the church and requires a church to be careful in the accusation that it makes against spiritual leadership. <clears throat> How do we do that? 
I think there's one very key way that will help us guard from false accusations to spiritual leadership, and that is to pray for them. I know that many of you pray for us. I hope that all of you do. The reality is that we need it. There isn't a specific verse that says to pray for your elders, but Paul uh, has gives several verses in Scripture. Thank you. That would be awesome. Um, several verses in Scripture where he thanks people for their prayers. <clears throat> I know Drew was worried I was going to give COVID to him. <clears throat> Let's just try. First Thessalonians 5.25, <clears throat> Paul says simply this, Brethren, pray for us. It's pretty straightforward. Pray for us. Just, just pray for us, guys. We need you to pray. First, Second Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. He gets a little bit more specific this time. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And wouldn't that help? <clears throat> if we were praying the spiritual leadership, that the word of the Lord would speed forward and that would be honored, wouldn't that take away a lot of the false accusations and the, the, the negative thoughts about people that are not founded. As has happened among you, verse two says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Praying that they would be delivered from wicked and evil men. I think that fits perfectly with this issue of not having uh, evidence, false accusations. Hebrews 13, verses 18 through 19, the writer writes this, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. What is he saying there? He's saying, pray for me, because there's, things, there's attacks that are being made upon me, but I know that my conscience is clean. Prayer is the biggest thing you can do to help guard from these false accusations. And when you're praying for your spiritual leaders, you'll be more careful about what you allow to speak into your mind regarding them. Unfortunately, the reality is that we are not perfect and that we do sin. And sometimes that means it needs to be rebuked. You will find nowhere in Scripture that teaches that an elder in a church is above reproach. He should be, <laughs> if you read the requirements, but he's not. That nowhere in Scripture will you find that, that, the, that the spiritual leaders of a church cannot be challenged spiritually. That they can't be called out for sin. In fact, this is one of the things that a lot of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teachers will key in on. They'll use this phrase, Touch not the Lord's anointed. It's not talking about them for two reasons. One, I can tell you they're not the Lord's anointed. And two, that's not who it's talking about. And they use this out of context and out of its purpose to hold themselves above anyone talking about what they're doing that is wrong, that is false. Whether it's sin or doctrinally wrong. Touch not the Lord's anointed. That kind of flies in the face of 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
We're supposed to be careful about the, 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 the accusations that come against our leaders, but the reality is that we are sinners. And verse 20 says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that re- the rest may stand in fear. First thing I want to notice real quickly is that this has to do with sin. This is not, I don't like the way that they preach. I don't like the way that they tie their tie. That's why we don't wear ties. I don't like the way that they drive or the way they talk. I don't like, that's not what this is about. But those who persist in sin, This really isn't even about somebody who makes a mistake, who sins one time. That's not what this is talking about. How are we to deal with that? It's not about sin. It's not about, it's about sin. It's not about differences, but how do we deal with a, a, a sinful act? We have Matthew 18, right? We have Matthew 18. We have a process. If someone has sinned, even an elder, to go through so that they repent. So if one of us has sinned, I fully expect somebody in the church, if they know about it, to to confront me. And quite frankly, it's happened. And I'm thankful that it has happened because it was done biblically. So this is not for differences, personal opinions. This is not for uh, a one-time issue that is repented of and hopefully forsaken. This is for those <clears throat> who are known to be living a sinful lifestyle of some kind and refusing to repent. It is the responsibility of the church to rebuke spiritual leaders <clears throat> when they persist in sin. Why? Why is it supposed to be public? First of all, I think probably because the sin is public. I think at this point, it's probably something that everybody knows about, um, or at least enough people know about, (laughs) that this is probably considered a public sin. So the sin most likely is public, so that's one reason to do it in public. But Paul gives Timothy another reason. Why? So that those who hear it will fear. So that those who hear it will fear. The public rebuke of an elder is not only for his own sake, it is for the church. In fact, I would say it's primarily for the church because if it's gotten to that point, the elder probably doesn't care. May even be somewhat unreachable outside of the the work of God. It is for the church so that they will fear. They will stand in fear. Why? Because as elders, we are to be spiritual leaders of the church. We are to be the examples of Christ to the church. And if we are living in open, unrepentant sin, the damage that that will cause to this local body is tremendous. Leading people down an immoral road, leading people down doctrinal uh, failure due to our actions or inactions. 
potentially causing a split and division in the church. And it should be dealt with publicly and sternly so that everyone in the church understands that the sin is wrong. It is not acceptable. It is not okay. And it is not what God has designed for his body. It's no fun to end on a bad one. But that's where we're going to end because that's where the passage ends. It is a joy and a blessing and a lot of work, but an encouraging work to be an elder, to be an elder here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. It is not something that any of us take lightly. It is something that we thoroughly enjoy and we look forward to what God is going to do. And I must say that even in these three things of honoring and protecting and rebuking that you all have done well. And so my encouragement for you going forward is continue. Continue to do it. Continue to be a people who honor their spiritual leadership, a people who protect their spiritual leaders, people who when necessary rebuke their spiritual leaders so that we are the church that God desires us to be. And by God's grace, we will be in his power. We will be the elders that he desires us to be for you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are not, that we are not the head of this church. Lord, there is nothing that we as human beings bring to the table when it comes to leading your flock. We thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you are the one to whom we look, that you are the one that we try to uh, emulate. We thank you that you have given us such a perfect example to follow. Lord, I pray for us as elders that we would, that we would to uh, the best of our ability and by your grace and your help, help us to follow well. And as we do so, as we rule well, as, as this passage in Timothy tells us, as we do that, by your grace, I pray that you would enable those of you who, whom you've brought to this body, who you've fitly joined together, that you would help them to follow these admonitions as they have to this point in the days ahead. And I pray even those who may not um, be on board with what Scripture says in this, in this uh, instance at this point, that you would challenge all of us wherever we find ourselves as members of this church or as spiritual leaders of this church and members as well, that you'd help us to grow and change and act more like you desire your body to act in these ways. So that not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, not so that we can say what a good job we did as elders at our retreat, not so that we can simply give uh the attaboys to the, to the members of the church in a members meeting, but so that you are glorified in our thoughts and in our actions in, in these walls when we gather together so that you are glorified in our testimony to the world around us so that you are glorified in the way that we live because that's what will result when you work in our lives in this way, Lord. May you be glorified in us. In Christ's name we pray.